So we'll see how we do this morning. Greg asked me to uh, ask someone to fill in, so I volunteered because he was feeling sick. And then yesterday, about like 6 p.m., I was like, oh, I don't feel so well. <laughs> I don't feel great. And my wife usually gives great advice, and it was like about 9 p.m. She was like, you should maybe see if someone else could cover. And I was like, it's 9 p.m. <laughs> so we're going to push through it. But today, we're, uh, I'm going to continue um, doing my best to exegete the Scripture passages. So we are in the uh, church history time of Epiphany, where um, after Christ's incarnation, we are, are going through Scriptures where Christ reveals himself in various ways. And so um, after his incarnation, he's, he's revealed uh, to the Magi, to the three kings that come, and he's revealed in his baptism. Uh, he's revealed as the disciples follow him, if you're, if you're following the scripture readings. That's what we read last week. And, and today, even the demons testify that Christ is Lord. And so we, in this, this time of, of the church calendar, uh, we look at how Christ reveals himself. Because if he didn't, it would all be worthless. We just wouldn't know anything. We'd be groping around in the dark, uh, not knowing what to do, but he has revealed himself. So our scripture readings today are Mark 1, 21 through 28. We will start by reading those. <clears throat> and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered, that's Jesus, the synagogue, this is Jesus and four of his disciples, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So I primarily want to look at three things this morning. Uh, Jesus' teaching with authority and how that's different. Uh, the demon-oppressed man, it says it's a man that had unclean spirits. Uh, throughout Scripture, the people like this are called people who have unclean spirits or demon-oppressed. And Jesus' authority over the unclean spirits. And so, it's a, if you're reading this and you're from a Jewish mindset, um, or, or if you know the history of the synagogue, then... When they come and say, he's teaching with authority, not like that of the scribes. Well, the scribes had like PhDs in the Torah and in the Old Testament. These are people, they're not just like anybody like me gets up and, and talks and doesn't have a college degree or any formal training. And, and, but these are PhD level uh, 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 preachers in the synagogue and, and teachers. So it's not like they didn't know what they were talking about. And they were on such a level um, that they, they could espouse and they could quote scripture and, uh, and they could quote other, other scribes and other teachers. Um, but it was in such a way that they were teaching that they didn't seem to have any authority. And it might seem a little, um, a little weird if we look at it like that. 
But we've had 2,000 years of, of church history with authoritative preaching with the Holy Spirit. But um, when Christ came to teach, he, the, I don't know how it divides time-wise, but Christ's main ministries were his teaching ministry, his healing ministry, and casting out demons. And, and so it doesn't say how much time is given towards each one. Uh, sometimes it might have been that Jesus taught for two hours, and that says all who came to him were healed, and he might have been doing miracles and healing and casting out demons for 10 more hours. But it, so I don't know what it divides this time-wise, but the scriptures um, have an emphasis on, on Christ's teaching. And, and here it's that he taught with authority, and it's not like that of the scribes. This is something new. And it wasn't just the content of his message. It was the authority that, that he had in delivering it. And, and so uh, one thing that happens throughout the Gospels is that his, his other ministries, his, his healing ministries and his, uh, when he's casting out demons, um, give validation to his teaching. And so we could go in, um, just like in, when uh, Jesus heals the, the lame man that's dropped through the ceiling, and he could say, your sins are forgiven, and anybody could say that, but not everybody has authority to say that. And I could say, get up and walk, but that doesn't mean you're going to get up and walk. But Jesus backed it up, and, and so his, his ministries were always validating his, his teaching. And so... Um, not to get too much into the weeds of the Greek, but it's a little bit of a rich word when it says that Jesus taught with authority. That's exousia. Ex means out of. Um, and if you're familiar with a, I think it's a, a third or fourth century controversy about Jesus's being, was he one with the Father in being? And, and the Greek word usia is out of the same being, out of the same substance. And so uh, usia in church history has had a uh, has been a weighty word, but you could translate that Jesus's authority was out of his being. It was out of out of who he was, or it was out of his substance. It wasn't a light teaching, right? We could get up here and and talk, and uh, we've done it multiple times, and I'm guilty of it. And we could have a very dry, light teaching, and this is what the Bible says, and you should do it. You might want to consider following Christ, or you might want to consider working a little bit for sanctification, or, you know, the Bible says you should lay hold of the grace of God, and maybe you should do that. And it doesn't, it doesn't come across as very substantive. It doesn't come across as very authoritative. But I think what Jesus was doing, and you can see this throughout the uh, throughout the Gospels, it wasn't just his method of delivering. Like the prophet said, thus says the Lord. This is what God is telling you. You'd better listen. Pay attention, right? That's authority. And if they were wrong, uh, if they prophesied something and it didn't happen, if they were prophesying in a predictive way and it didn't happen, they would die. So if there was a real situation where if someone was going to say something and their life is on the line, I would probably pay attention, Right, I would be like, oh, this guy is taking this a little bit more seriously. He could die. We could kill him later. <laughs> and, and so I don't think it was just a, a form or how he was teaching, but it was because he really did have authority. There was, 
you listen to some preachers and, and you can see throughout church history and, and people like Billy Graham or George Whitfield or the Wesleyans or Martin Luther or Athanasius. It's just when they preach, these are weighty guys. They're when you listen to uh, or read, for the most of them, when you read their preaching, they not just in a stylistic way draw your attention, but they are men with gravity. They are men with authority because they've been, been delegated by God uh, and anointed by God in a generation to turn a generation around. And God anoints that kind of preaching quite you know, frequently when, when the church gets off track. And, and it's because when you're, when you're preaching according to the word of God and what Jesus was doing was preaching, his preaching, his teaching was backed by the spirit of God. And so we have that same authority when, when we preach according to the word. And, and what God does in preaching, and this is what Jesus is doing in his ministry, is he is preaching, and that is going to be the, the vehicle that brings about faith. Right? Paul uh, recapitulates it in Romans 10, 10 through 17, where he says, For with the heart one believes and is justified. Right? There were new things that Jesus taught, were the justification by faith. It's not like it wasn't in the Old Testament. It's not like it wasn't there. It's not like Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Like that didn't happen. All the scribes read that. They all knew that. And so there were things Jesus was teaching that were new teachings that they had not really focused on and they were doing it in a legalistic way and they were concentrating on how to dot the I's and, and, and cross your T's and, and it was an empty form of religion. And so... And, you know, Paul says here in Romans is that when you believe, you're justified, right? It's by belief. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Right? For everyone who calls on the name will be saved. And so he goes on and says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? Right? How could they believe in someone who they've never heard of? You can't. Right? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are people supposed to come to faith unless there's preachers? And I don't mean just up here on Sundays, but I mean when you evangelize, you're preaching. You're delivering the good news. When you're taking what Christ has deposited in you and you're verbally calling people towards repentance and towards a holy lifestyle and towards belief in Christ and that they, they, need to, they, they need to long for Christ and they need to put their trust in him and act accordingly, right? We're preaching, right? And how are they supposed to preach unless they're sent, right? Does anybody like want to go out and evangelize, but you're like, hey, how do we do it? Where are we going? I wish someone would just tell me what to do. I feel like that all the time. And it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Right? So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so Christ is, is in his preaching ministry. He's not just preaching in a stylistic way, but he has authority as he's been given authority by God. And it's the same authority he had in the beginning to bring about and preach so that people would be saved. That's what Jesus says in, I think it's Luke 
uh, Luke 9 or 10, where he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And the next thing he does is not start a mercy ministry. He sends his disciples out to evangelize to them, to preach the good news, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, just as they had received freely. Uh, they are, are supposed to give freely. And so without preaching, there's nobody coming to faith. Without preaching, one of the reasons you know, why preaching is the centerpiece of our Sunday, uh, our Sunday gathering is because we pray that by the Spirit of God, we're moved to preach the Scriptures so that it would enact faith in our community. Because without it, we're doomed. How are we supposed to get faith if no one preaches? And unfortunately, you're only here for like two hours a week. And so you got to preach to yourself throughout the week. Or you got to listen to a lot of sermons. <laughs> you got to keep a lot of, uh, you got to listen to a lot of podcasts. And so, and so when Christ is, is coming, he has authority to the, from the Father that he had in the beginning to bring about faith by preaching. And he, and he backs it up in his ministry. And as he's, as he's preaching, and they're kind of in astonishment, who, who comes in and interrupts? The man with the evil spirit, right? And, and he says, what have you to do with us, son of God? Are you here to destroy us? Is it our time? Right? And, and in this Matthew account, it doesn't tell us directly if this man was involved in the synagogue. It says he immediately came in there. And so, at least in, in this instance, it seems like he burst through the doors, like someone burst through the back doors and said, what are you guys doing? This guy's a heretic. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But you never know. And, and so, but, it, but if you look at some of the other accounts in the Gospels, it seems to me that there are men that were demon-oppressed in the synagogues, that they probably came day in and day out or week in and week out, and they were filled with demons. And nobody did anything about it, and nobody really noticed. This isn't the gathering demoniac that's walking around naked, that, that's like a, a super strong supernatural strength and living among, among the graves. This isn't that kind of demonic guy. This isn't, he's not that you know, uh, oppressed by demons. This seems to be a guy that looks normal. That might even seem like he has it together. And he's in the synagogue, and nobody's nobody done anything yet. But he does have an outburst, and, and which uh, gets the demons in trouble. But, but one of the things I think the scriptures are, are showing us here is that I think demons love empty religion. I think they love it. I think they love to be in churches where they're not going to be bothered. They could run people's lives and, and get them off track and, and, uh, and, and tempt them. And, and you, we can come here every week and we can get baptized and we can hear, we could hear preaching and, and we can take the communion elements and we can fellowship and still be oppressed by demons. One guard against that that the Lord gives us is strong preaching, is authoritative preaching. It seems to, when you're moved by the Spirit of God and you're anointed, they seem to get stirred up. They seem to not like that. I don't know if uh, this demon-oppressed man, uh, he apparently didn't have any, any self-control because uh, uh, he just had an outburst, and he couldn't control himself and, and, and says, I know who you are, or maybe it was a plot. 
It could have been a plot that just like Satan tempted Jesus to, to be thrown from the temple and the angels would catch him and he would be revealed in glory because the angels would catch him. Uh, the, the demon oppressed man could have been trying to bring about uh, Christ's destruction or his end earlier than what he had planned. Um, but it doesn't give us really any, any insight into that as far as, as far as I could tell. But uh, I think demons love dry church where the word's not preached, where they're not bothered. James 2.19 uh, talks about like even the demons believe that God is one and they shudder. But in context, he's saying, but they don't change their lives. They don't change, right? They don't have, they, they believe, but they don't have faith that produces works. And so surely they're not changed beings. And even in Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, he brings about seven or eight woes against the Pharisees and the scribes. And one of my favorite ones is in Matthew 23, 13 through 15, where he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. They're actually keeping people out of the kingdom by their teaching, by their synagogue system. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. It's not too loving. It's not a really gentle message. It's not the gentle Jesus I wanted. And but Christ, when he was preaching with authority, he was preaching against the religious system that had been created in the day that wasn't helping anybody. That they were making disciples. They were bringing people. The synagogue system was growing. But as it grew, it just sent more people to hell. And so, like I said, we could get baptized. We could take the communion elements. We can come here every week. But that doesn't mean that we have a powerful encounter encounter with Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ has changed my life. It doesn't mean I've listened to his words. It doesn't mean I obey him. It doesn't mean I love him. And so if Christ isn't present in the preaching, if his, if his spirit isn't present, if we're not preaching authoritative from the word of God, then there's no point. We might as well go home. And so it was a religious party that crucified our Lord. It was a religious party he came to preach to. It was a religious party uh, that betrayed him. Right? And, and, and so... We would be, we would be have a, a, a big hubris. We'd be very prideful to think that that, that happens. There are churches out there that, that don't preach according to the word. They don't preach authoritative. That, that uh, they make disciples and, and they're sending more people to hell than they are helping them. That would just be hubris to think that we can't succumb to that. that that's not something we should be careful of, right? And, and so we do have to be careful of that. We have to keep our eyes focused on, on Christ and his teaching and, and teaching and preaching uh, authoritative from the word, moved by the spirit of God. And so when the demon-oppressed man comes in, he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? The demon-oppressed uh, man, the man with, with unclean spirits, knows his end. He knows that he's on a short leash. His time is up. The demon knows that his time is up. 
And so this is when the demons testify to the reality of Christ and, and his authority. They knew that Jesus' mission was going to be successful. And when he says, have you come to destroy us? It's uh, either that there was multiple demons or he's speaking on behalf of the demonic realm or Satan's kingdom or whatever. Um, but either way, he knew, he knew that Jesus' mission was going to be successful. He didn't have any questions about it. He just said, is, is now the time? I got my eviction notice. I, it's been 30 years, 33 years since you were born. You're the Christ. You're the Holy One of God. Is it time? Right? He knew the Old Testament scriptures that had been, uh, uh, that God prophesied through the first humans, Adam and Eve, that there would be one that comes and crushes the serpent's head. He knew that his fate as an evil spirit was not going to be good forever, that he was going to get cast out. And I'm assuming that there's some kind of network. Uh, all good organizations have some kind of network where they communicate. And so maybe they communicated and, and probably knew that, that Christ had resisted Satan in the wilderness not too long ago. And the same temptations that, that we have gone through and we failed and every human has gone through it and failed, Christ was victorious in his weakest state, fasting for 40 days. And, and so when, um, when the Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, 8, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, it's, it's not that we are totally helpless, that we can't resist in the sense of, like, I don't have an option. Like, God doesn't hold you accountable if you don't have an option. If you have to sin, if there's no other choice, if it was forced upon you and you just had to take it, then there's no, if that really is a situation, I can't think of one, if that really is the case, then there's no sin because you didn't have an option. But what, what John's saying here in, in his first epistle is in context of loving your brothers, loving other Christians, being sanctified, not letting the devil run your life, that's what Christ came to do, to destroy the works of the devil. And his mission was successful. He, the demons didn't have any questions about it. They were pretty sure. And, and so, but we have been helpless in the sense that we have all been tempted. And it seems like we don't have another option. We have all succumbed to sin. We all have that, that power of sin that, that fights against us. And so three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of, of this world. And so it's not that we live in a dualistic world where it's God versus the devil, and they're going to battle it out, and I really hope God wins. If, if, that, if, we're, if we lived in a dualistic uh, reality, then I hope we got it right. But if the devil could win, then we could get it wrong. And we might be on the wrong side. But we don't live in that reality. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. In, in 1231, he says that he is the ruler of this world and he will be cast out. He's going to get cast out. In 1430, he says that the ruler of this world has no claim on me. That he has no, Satan has no power over Christ. He has no claim on him. He can't really do anything to him. And in 1611, the ruler of this world, uh, the end is near, and he is judged. 
And so the demons knew it. They professed Jesus as the Christ. They knew that their time was almost over. It's short. And there is an inevitable end coming. And, and even in Paul in the writer, or in the epistle to the Romans, writes that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's what God's in the business of doing for his people. Crushing Satan. Destroying his works. He's had a hold on some of us in various periods of life, or even now, in where he can tempt you to sin, but he can't make you sin. Does that make sense? He could dangle it in front of your, your eyes, and you're like, yes, I got another one. <laughs> he keeps giving it to me. I can get it. And we keep, we keep taking it. He can't force us to sin, but when he tempts us, without the Spirit of God, uh, without Christ's power, in us, then we don't really have any power to fight against it. But those, but when we do put our trust in Christ on the very basic level, we preach to ourselves throughout the week, and it's through the power of words that that we get the power of Christ uh, mediated or or delivered to us, where we can actually have Satan crushed under our feet. And so, and so we preach on Sundays, we, we should we hopefully empower you guys to preach to yourself throughout the week, because without gospel truth, without reliance on Christ that leads us deeper in faith, we're not going to have Satan crushed under our feet. We will inevitably succumb to, to his plan. And so, like I said, we're not dualist. Uh, Jesus, all he did was speak a word, and the demon left. He didn't have to battle him. He didn't have to wrestle him. He didn't have to rub some magic dice together or anything. All he did was speak a word. It was easy for Christ. And so uh, uh, God's sovereignty is over everything. It's even over evil. If you look in the book of Job, he actually, Satan comes to God and he says, what can I do? And he said, did you consider Job? He says, well, I'm going to do this. And Satan says, I'm going to do this. And God says, well, no, you're going to do this. And he tells him how far he can go. Even Satan is, is on a leash, and he's bound. And so, so God is, is sovereign over evil. He's sovereign over the demonic. He's sovereign over your sin nature. He's sovereign over the course of this world. He's sovereign over any, everything in such a way that when he says something, we can believe that it's going to happen. If we did live in a, in a reality where Jesus didn't really have authority and he's just more powerful than the devil, then we can't take any comfort in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We can't, I can't have any comfort in that if that's not a guarantee, if I can't rely on that. And so God uses evil in your life. He allows evil to happen. He allows things that we perceive as evil and things that are real evil, he allows and uses demons for his end. Not for their end. I'm sure that the demons loved to oppress people. I'm sure of it. They, just like any creature, they don't necessarily do things they don't enjoy, they don't like. Even us, uh, we don't necessarily do things we don't enjoy too much. We're not naturally bent towards that. And so, but God uses everything towards the believer's life to benefit them, that all things are good in their life. Even the evil that happens to them, that God uses that 
for his purposes. And when it's one of those things where whoever has eyes to see will see, and whoever has ears to hear will hear. And I've got ears. I don't always have ears to hear. I've got eyes to see. I've got literal eyes, but I don't have a spiritual sense, spiritual eyes to see all the time. And so, so, uh, uh, so God uses those things, and, and he opens our eyes, and he opens our ears, and he's the one that, that you know, if we could see that he's in control, we could rely on, on his, his promises. And so, uh, lastly, the people's response is that, that they, it essentially, the, if you were to translate it into to Greek or more... Um, or the little, more literal translation would be that this teaching and this authority blew their minds, right? Have you ever sat in and heard a preacher or a teaching, and you're just like, oh, pff, why didn't I think about that? That's so simple. I've been missing it for 25 years. They're like, oh, we've been missing it for 6,000 years. <laughs> we've been really, we really messed up. We really were off track. And so... That's what happens when the Spirit of God is moving through powerful preaching and there's signs and Christ's presence and his authority is backing it up, is that it should blow your minds. We should open up the scriptures daily and be like, as, as David says, that I want to find wonderful things in your law. I want to find things that blow my mind. I want to find things that I'm like, man, that doesn't make sense. Lord, help me make sense of that. And then he opens your mind and you're like, oh, yeah, I've been missing that. Or when you read through the Gospels or through the New Testament for like the 20th time, you're like, I read that. Why didn't I see it? But if you don't read it, you're not going to see it, <laughs> right? If you don't receive Christ's words, if, you don't, if you're not asking the Lord to open your eyes regularly, to open your ears, to show you what you're missing, if you're not, you know, in, in the sense of with the demon-oppressed man, if you're, if you're not asking him to show you What's going on in the world? Why is this evil happening to you? Show me your purposes. We're probably not going to see it. He wants you to have eyes to see. He wants you to have ears to hear. And I think God is working uh, diligently towards that end. And so when um, the people of Capernaum in this synagogue, um, let me double check what I'm about to say. Um, it's in the region of Galilee, and he eventually goes to Nazareth, and he gets kicked out by his family. But Capernaum, uh, it seems to be he makes a kind of his, his uh, headquarters for his ministry around Capernaum, where uh, he, sends, he sends people out. But it's, it's a place where in the synagogues that he's starting to blow people's minds. What has been taught for years, which was a very legalistic way of teaching, Right, that was producing more people going to hell than it was towards the kingdom of God. It just totally blew their minds. You mean all I got to do is believe? That's it? That should blow your mind. Because if something happened against me, or if you sinned against me, I want you to do something more than faith. I want more than faith. I want recompense. I want you to pay it back. And maybe you will, but, but I want more, right? But that's not what, what Christ was preaching. And, and so 
uh, as we come and, and worship this morning, uh, we're just praying and, and hopefully that the Lord is opening our eyes and we're prayerful towards that, that he would actually blow our minds, that he would produce more faith in us through preaching. And if, if we're, the Lord's faithful, that if we yearn for it, if we ask for it, he will deliver it to us. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, uh, as John preaches, we, uh, we pray that you would open our ears, open our eyes to hear wonderful things from your law. <clears throat> as we come to worship, Lord, let us be vibrant. Let us yearn for you, Christ. Let us yearn for your spirit, for your authority um, as, we, as we worship this morning through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> 